If you would, take your Bibles and turn back to that Hebrews 10 passage. We're going to begin there and move to chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 for most of our time. But as you notice, as I read the scripture a little earlier in our service, three times in chapter 10, um, you endured a hard struggle, verse 32. Um, You yourselves have a better and enduring uh, possession, abiding one, verse 34. And then the direct statement that I hope you'll take home with you, that you have need of endurance. Um, I want you to remember this uh, text because you're going to need it, and so am I, in the next weeks. It's been four months uh, since we started COVID-19 and all the things that have gone with it, and it may be more. We don't know. But what we do need in this and in every circumstance and situation we face in life is endurance. And from this text, I put together a definition of endurance that I hope is a little catchy enough that you might repeat it to yourself and remember it this week or maybe in times ahead when you need to recall the need for endurance. And I wrote, endurance is having the faith to run long when the pain is strong and quitting is wrong. And I'm going to flesh out all three of those pieces Um, Let me say it again. Endurance is having the faith to run long when the pain is strong and quitting is wrong. It's exactly the message that Winston Churchill gave uh, to the British people and particularly to his school that he was speaking at uh, during World War II. Germany had bombed England and it looked like they were going to be taken over. Um, But Churchill had other ideas and he wanted his people to endure and to continue to fight and work hard. And in his famous speech, Never Give In, he starts out with words, we must learn to be equally good. And that's an important phrase. Equally good at two things. At what is short and sharp and what is long and tough. He says, if you want to win wars, you have to be good at both. If you want to live the Christian life and run the race of faith with endurance, you have to be able to handle short skirmishes and long-lasting battles. He went on to say in that very same speech, but for everyone, surely, what we have gone through in this period, I'm addressing myself and the school, surely from this period of 10 months, this is the lesson. Churchill says famously, Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in. Except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. He says, we stood all alone, meaning England, a year ago. And to many countries, it seemed that our account was closed and we were finished. All this tradition of ours, our songs, our school history, this part of the history of this country, were gone and finished and liquidated, he says. Very different, however, is the mood today in Britain. Other nations thought we had drawn a sponge across our slate. But instead, our country stood in the gap. There was no flinching. There was no thought of giving in. And by what seemed almost a miracle to those outside our islands, though we ourselves never doubted, we find ourselves in a position where I say that we can be sure, listen to this, that we have only to persevere 
to conquer. He said, this is the main part of the battle. This is what's going to win the day for us, our endurance, our perseverance, the ability to run long when the pain is strong and quitting is wrong. Now, as I begin this morning, let me just set up the framework of our text. If you notice, in chapter 10 uh, of Hebrews, three times endurance is used. And then also when we read Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, again, the word endurance is used three times. They're mirror texts, and it's because they are bookends, and in between them is chapter 11, all the heroes of faith that we're going to catalog in a minute. But why are they there? Uh, because they're to exhort us. We're to learn from their endurance. And, and also, um, amazingly enough, is that in chapter 10 and in chapter 12, what is a part of those endurance phrases and texts are exhortations, and they always start with the word let us. Um, they're hortatory, they're commands. They're, they're trying to say, in light of this, here's what you should live like. In chapter 10, it says in verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, let us consider. And then over again in chapter 12, same thing, because it's mirror text. He wants you to know that these are identical ideas with enduring in between them. Chapter 12, verse 1, our text, twice, let us lay aside every weight, let us run with endurance. Later on, verse 28, let us be grateful, verse 29, let us offer to God. And, and here's, he, he says, as a Christian, you need to li- live your life in obedience to these commands because in doing so, it will enable you to endure, endure the long run. When you feel like you can't go on another step, he says, here's how you handle it. See, for these readers, they were enduring a struggle. And you can pick it up with me in verse 32 of Hebrews 10. And it's marked off and qualified by two little words, sometimes, same ones. Sometimes, it says in verse 33, they were being publicly exposed. And the word is the word in English we get theater from. They were being put on the social stage. People were beginning to mock them. It was becoming normal. They were being ridiculed. And even to the point where it says later in verse 34 that they were having their land seized. People were taking their lands and their properties. They were losing their housing. They were becoming homeless. They were suffering loss. And sometimes that's what they were struggling with and why they needed endurance. Other times it says, using the word sometime again, he says sometimes it was because you were partners with It's the word we get, fellowship. You were people in your church. Let's say it that way. People in your church. It wasn't you suffering, but other people in the pews, other people sitting here, they were suffering and they were being mistreated. And so whether it was you personally or someone else in your church, here's what he says. You all need endurance. As if the writer is telling them that you're in a race and you're on the last lap and the bell rings and you're on the bell lap and you're almost there. You can almost see the finish line from where you are, but they needed warnings. They needed to be told in no uncertain terms that there is no coasting in the Christian life. There isn't a time where we can just take it easy and we can kind of stroll in our Christian life. No, it's always a struggle, he says. And so in verse 35, here's the warning. Don't Throw away your confidence. Don't throw, it means to take off a garment. Don't take off the coat of confidence. You need to wear it. You need to be confident in what God's word says and what his promises have given to you. You need to be confident in who Jesus is and what he's done because if you don't, he says, there's another kind of people, people who look like Christians and 
at times act like Christians. They may even come to church. But in verses 38 and 39, it tells us that they are different. And that, and that running the race with endurance and struggling against difficulties and suffering is what brings out the difference. And the term that describes this other group is shrink back. See, he says that we're not, verse 39, we're not of those who shrink back. The Habakkuk quote in verse 38, it says, God, I'm not, God says, I'm not pleased with those who shrink back and who don't have the faith to keep running. He says, I'm not pleased with them. In fact, it's even stronger than that in verse 39. If you shrink back, it'll be to your destruction, it says. See, there are people, and hopefully not any of God's people, when they face difficulties and pressures and hardships, especially over time, And they begin to lose things, their marriage, friendships, jobs, their health. See, they begin to shrink back. It's like, honey, I shrunk the kids, but this time it's, honey, I shrunk my faith. And and I'm kind of shrinking back. And and I'm not, I'm becoming timid and fearful. And I'm more worried about the consequences and what's going to happen to me. And I begin to shrink back. See, really, by the contrast used in the text... There's only really two groups. There's shrinkers and believers. And Paul says this to us. You need to be a believer. It's crucial. It's crucial that you understand the brackets in this text in chapter 10 and chapter 12. Because in between in chapter 11, that's why chapter 11 is there. And we love chapter 11, the hall of faith. But you know what those people are listed for? Because they are examples to us of enduring faith that doesn't shrink back. Chapter 11, you're to read them as, this is how I keep from shrinking. This is how my faith keeps from withering and falling apart and being forfeited. See, he says, this is what you do. See, Abel endured even when his own brother murdered him. Enoch endured his whole life in a generation where everyone had turned their back on God, but yet he lived the testimony that he always pleased God. Noah endured 120 years while everyone mocked him as he built the ark. Abraham endured when God kept promising a son, and 25 years later, he still hadn't received it, and he was 100 years old. Isaac and Jacob demonstrated their endurance by living their whole lives in tents and never living in a city because they were looking forward to the one whose builder and maker was God. Joseph endured prison and false accusation. Moses endured in Egypt and all the slavery and Joshua and Rahab. And and Paul goes on to say, and I could give you more examples, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets... They all endured all kinds of difficulties, but what you find to be true in all of their lives is that they endured. Daniel, who's not named, but his circumstances were, he endured lions. Again, anonymous Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in our text, they endured the fiery furnace. And then there are others, Hebrews 10.36 says, others, and they have no name mentioned at all, and we're not even sure who they were. Suffered mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment, stone, cut in two, killed with a sword or, ha- or decapitated. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in caves. He says, see, no matter what generation, no matter what situation that you're in, every child of God, including everyone here this morning, needs endurance. When you reach chapter 12... Verses 1 and 3, you've reached the climax of this argument, of the whole story of endurance. 
and he gives in verses 1 and 2 one command, and it's to run with endurance. That's the key. That's the key. Running with endurance. And then he modifies it, and this is what I want to unpack this morning for us. Three participles that describe what it means to run with endurance. And they are having, laying aside, and looking. So how do you run with endurance? First and foremost, you have to look backwards. That's the first key. You have to look backwards. 12.1 begins with therefore. It's not the usual word therefore. It's a very un- only used twice in the New Testament here in 1 Thessalonians 4.8. And what it does is tie 12, 1 through 3 back to chapter 11 and even back to chapter 10 at the end. Here's what, therefore, because you don't want to shrink back and you want to have a faith that endures, you know what you have to do? He says, therefore, in our text, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. All these Old Testament characters, all these people we've cataloged, why are they there? Why were their lives written in the Old Testament? Why are they put into chapter 11? What's the purpose for them? You know why? Because when you look at their lives and you look back at what they went through, they're going to shout a message. They're going to communicate something to you. And here's what they're going to communicate. We endured it all, and so can you. 21st century, there's what it means. You can keep running when your marriage is falling apart. You can keep running when you're the only Christian in your family. The only one that goes to church the only one that wants to pray at meals when you have family get-togethers. You can keep running when your job is miserable and your boss is all over you constantly and wants you to compromise your ethics and even maybe perhaps your morality at times. You can keep running even though it's painful and, and, and painful perhaps in many ways. Painful physically, painful emotionally, relationally, and perhaps most of all spiritually. You can keep running. You can keep running despite the fact that you don't feel like running, when you don't want to go another step, when you don't even want to get out of the bed in the morning, where you'd rather have just pull the covers over your head and say, forget it today. See, here's what this text does. It allows you to look back at people who got out of bed when they didn't want to and did far more than just getting out of bed. You can keep running in the face of impossible circumstances. You can face impregnable walls that you thought would never come down, i.e. Jericho. You can face a worldwide flood and survive. You can have a child at 100 years old. You can do what God asks you to do even when it seems impossible, like offering up your only son Isaac on the altar. You can face impossible objects and obstacles and walk right through in the middle of them, Red Sea. You can face Improbable escapes, lion's dens, furnaces, overwhelming armies when you're outnumbered. See, here's the message. Here's what they shout. Look at our lives. Look at our situations. Look what happened and see this. You can endure it. We did and you can too. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bear Gillis or Grillis, I think, or Grills maybe perhaps pronounced. Um, he had a TV show called Man vs. Wild. It was on for a while. He's pretty famous. He's written a number of books. They're worth reading, actually. Um, He's got one called True Grit. And he could write that. I I could not because he is really an outdoorsman. I mean, I see him with pictures carrying an alligator. He lives out and he drinks. I won't even say things that he drinks to survive. Things he, in crazy temperatures and hot and cold and places he goes, he is truly an outdoorsman. I mean, I like... 
Holiday Inn Express. That's about as outdoorsy as I get. And uh, I'm not much on any of those things, but he wrote a book, True Grit, and in it he has 25 short episodes of people's lives, and I'll quote it actually, true epic stories of heroism that have shaped my life. And two of them are, and one of them I should say is uh, Louis Zamperini. You may have heard of him recently. There was a book about his life and a movie. Um, the Italian-American Second World War officer, he was shot down over the Pacific Ocean, and then he was in this raft. He was in a raft longer than anyone ever in history. He ended up, literally, he was in this, laugh, this raft to the point where he floated for 2,000 miles. During the 2,000 miles, he was shot at by Japanese pilots. He was attacked by sharks. I mean, the story is endless. And then finally, after all of that, when he's just about to die, he, his hunger and thirst is incredible. He washes up on the shore of an island, and the island just happens to be a Japanese remote army camp, and they torture him for months. I mean, but here's his story. He endured it all. In similar fashion, in the book, Douglas Mawson, who was a contemporary of Ernest Shackleton during the times back in the early 1900s when they were taking Arctic adventures and expeditions to Antarctica to explore, he was separated from all of his men 300 miles from their camp. On his way back to the camp, which took him two months by himself, he got frostbite severely. He lost his hair. He lost all the nails on his hands and feet. And the heels, or I should say the bottoms of his feet, both fell off from fro- being frozen. At one point, he fell down a crevasse, hanging there by a rope for his life, and had to work almost an entire day to find the strength to pull his disintegrating body up to the top of it so he can continue on. But he did. He endured. And then he finally, after two months by himself, gets back to the camp, and he found out that the boat leaving back to the mainland and for health and safety to the hospital he needed to go to had left just four hours before he got there. But here's a guy who endures. And so the same day, he he gives a telegraph to his wife and says this, I'm sorry for the delay. It took me longer than I thought. I'll get there as soon as I can. But that's all he tells her. Endurance. Endurance. Endurance is part of and need of in every Christian's life. The question this morning is not so much if you're running, but how you're running Can I tell you this? Our text screams this message. It matters how you run. It matters how you run. That's why we have the Old Testament characters laid out for us in chapter 11. Consider them running partners. The Bible calls them witnesses. Five times the word witness is used in chapter 11. And it always means to give a testimony. And the idea is that they're surrounding you and you're in an event in a stadium and they're screaming and yelling at you and encouraging and say, come on, you can make it. I remember my dad between seasons always wanted me to run track. And I hated track. I don't like to run long distances. But he made me, so I did it. I remember my dad, he goes, you run the mile. I go, I don't want to run the mile. He goes, you run the mile. I ran the mile. So my dad would be there. He'd be crazy. I said, Dad, you know, I'm not good at this. And I'm not really, I'm fortunate I didn't put my heart into it. I always got last place. Every track meet, I got last place in the mile. I mean, one time I even got lapped, which was incredibly embarrassing. But my dad, no matter who it was and what was happening, he, there he was, running around the track. Come on, go faster. You can do it. Come on. 
At the time, I wanted to say, Dad, stop it. But he never would. He was right there encouraging me and cheering me on. See, that's what these characters are doing. They're telling you, you can face your lion's den. You can face the fiery furnace. See, you can keep going. I know it's hard, but look, 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 we finished. You can do it. And they're testifying. And here's what they're saying to you in the verse. Look at the verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely, or as one version says, distracts us so easily. Here's what you got to know if you're going to run. See, it's, you got to run by looking backwards, but you've got to take off the weight. You, you can't be distracted. You can't run with anything that hinders you from finishing the race. See, in the previous text in chapter 10, it said, hey, remember the code of confidence? Don't ever take that off. But here's the opposite. Now, but here's what you, you need to take this stuff off, though. Any stuff that weights you down, anything that's an encumbrance, anything that hinders you from finishing the race. And a little verse that sneaks in our chapter in chapter 12 and verse 11 says, you know what, the peace and the, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of those who are trained by it. It's the word gymnasio. It means get in the gym and work out. I, I have come to, not because I experienced it, I, um, earlier Boaz was here, and I know he's experienced this personally, but you have to have the right gear if you're going to run. You do. And I found out you have to have the right shoes, you have to have the right shorts, you have to have the right shirt. And I looked on the internet, you can, there's so many different kinds of shoes, and they all do this, and they claim to do, and they're all kinds of running, what you're going to do. And, and you have to have the right shorts, because you can't be hindered, they have to be lightweight, and you have to be able to have flexibility and move, and, and they can't, your shirt can't just keep the perspiration so it clings to your body, it has to kind of absorb it, and the wind comes through it and keeps it dry so that you're not hindered in any way. I mean, they have the Innovate 8 Race Ultra 270 shoes, the X-Bionic shirt and shorts. I mean, they had all these things, and they're not cheap, but they said this, and here's the motto, if you want to run lighter, faster, further, you need the right gear. And so here's what our author says of Hebrews. See, if you're going to run lighter, faster, further, there's things you have to have and things you cannot have. And you have to take them off because they'll distract you. They'll be a hindrance to you. And you've got to work out. You know, recently I've lost some weight. I actually can fit in my clothes now. It's a pretty good thing. Over the last few months of COVID. But I had to come to the realization that I couldn't lose weight. And this is startling to me. You can't lose weight and eat pizza all the time. Taco Bell can't be part of the regiment. And you got to actually do the horrible thing at 56. You have to exercise. So my wife and I, we walk in the morning and we kind of, well, we actually walk, crack, kind of run both a little bit. Although if you saw it, you might wonder if it really was running. But, um, and then we walk a little bit at night as well, a couple miles. And we have to work out. And I thought, you know what, 56, I should be done with this, right? But I found out the same is true spiritually. You know what, you're never really done working out. If you don't work out, you kind of get a little flabby in your faith. Can I say it that way? And that's why in chapter 12, and verses 12 through 15, it says, then don't let your hands be droopy, it says. Pick up your feeble knees, it says. 
and, and make straight paths for your feet. Those are all running. In other words, if you're going to run, you've got to train yourself. You've got to get in shape. You have to have the right gear, and you're going to have to really work at it. Otherwise, you're spiritually going to be out of shape. And I wonder if that's true sometimes of God's people. You know, we have to run, and we face hardships. But yet, you know what? Every day we neglect the word of God, and we're not really in prayer as we ought to be. And, you know, we, we kind of compromise in some of the things and convictions that we believe in how we live our lives. Here's what he says. You know, look backward at all of these guys in the Old Testament and these ladies and these men and these women who had faith who endured. Listen, they had the right gear and they were always working out. To the day they died, they were trying to stay in spiritual shape and they were getting rid of the things that were hindering them in their race. question is, is that you and me? Maybe the TV's got to go and maybe some of the things that we do and the people we hang out with and some of the things, you know, maybe not inherently or innately wrong in and of themselves. But maybe there's some of the things that have to go. You know why? Because they're keeping us from running. They're wanting to steer us into the wrong lanes, the wrong races. And they're not going to help us cross the finish line. So if you're going to run with endurance, here's the imperative. It says, look backward. Look backward at all those people in the hall of faith. But the climax is the second point. Not only do we have to look backwards, but we have to look forward. And again, Boaz said, one of the things you learn when you run a race is you always keep your eyes forward. Always looking for the finish line. And that's where the climax of our text reaches in the second half of verse 1. It says, let us run with endurance. See it? The race that is set before us. Now notice the parallel statement. Would you follow me here? End of verse 1 and verse 2. For us, it says, the race set before us. For Jesus, it says, the joy set before him. They're identical phrases other than those beginning words. And the idea the text wants to bring out is when you run your race and you keep your eyes forward, how do you go about doing that? Well, you have to do it the same way Jesus did it. You have to do it with joy. It's not that I run the race and I, I, I'm enduring, but I'm, I'm really complaining the whole time or I'm bitter about it. Or, no, no, Jesus endured all that he endured when he ran his race and he did it with joy. Well, how would you do that, Pastor Walker? If you knew some of the things that I face and the struggles that I'm going through and how unending they are and they don't ever seem to get better over time and things, in fact, in times they seem to get worse, you wouldn't say that. You see... We can look at the passage and say, well, how did the third participle, looking, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, seeing, looking, things that you can, are visible, are big, it's a big, big theme in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 1, the world was created from things not seen. Verse 2, so that what is seen are not made of things that are visible. Verse 5, Enoch did not see death. Verse 7, Noah built the ark and he did it knowing that in the future there would be events that he has not even seen yet, the flood. Verse 10, they were looking forward to a city whose builder and maker was God. That's why they lived in tents. Verse 13, they had promises, but they saw them afar off. Verse 23, Moses' parents hid him as a child so that he wouldn't be murdered as a baby. Why? Because they saw in him that he was a beautiful child. Moses grew up and he turned his back on Egypt. How did he do it? Verse 26, he was looking forward to the reward and it said, not, he did it seeing him who was invisible. So his eyes weren't on Pharaoh. It wasn't on the desert. It wasn't on the wilderness. It wasn't on the slavery and how bad it was in Egypt. You know where his eyes were? He was looking forward to Jesus. And that's what our text climaxes in. 
This is the parcel. This is how you run with endurance. You keep your eyes on Jesus. When the race is long and the pain is strong and quitting is wrong, you not only need to see the finish line, you need to see the finisher. And that finisher is Jesus. Verse 12, verse 2 says of chapter 12, he's the founder and perfecter, the beginning and the end, the originator and the completer of our faith. Here's the reality, folks. If you're going to run with patience, if you're going to endure, if you're going to make it to the end of your life and hold on to your faith in Jesus without letting it go, you're going to need him from start to finish. Have you ever tried to diet and exercise and get in shape and you really determine this is going to be different this time and you do it for a week, maybe 10 days, but then all these people bring food to work or your wife makes something, it's a holiday, you invited somewhere out to dinner and you don't want to disappoint people. Oh, you're going to have steak? I'll have the vegetables. You know, you're not, so you eat this and then you have a piece of pizza here and before you know it, you're back to where you were. And you look down and you said, I thought I've gained two, I lost two pounds, I've gained two pounds. And then you know, oh, I can't run today. You know why? Because we're too busy and I had to skip. Have you ever had all that happen to you? Here, here's, here's what Jesus, starting and finishing We need to keep your focus on him. We need help from him, his resources, not ours. My wife and I walk together. She tells me what we have for dinner, lunch, and most of the time. And we we plan our menu and we walk together. We diet together. You know what I found out? When I'm by myself, I stink. Yeah, I'm not good at it. But when I do it with her, oh, yeah, she keeps me focused. She helps and we help each other out. And then we step on the scale and say, woohoo. Went down four ounces today. Hallelujah. Right? But it keeps, keep, you know, here's what Jesus says. You need to keep your eyes on me. Why? You need me. You need me with you. You need my resources. See, I've heard people say, oh, Pastor Walker, I've tried that before and it doesn't work. I always ask them, well, how did you try it and how long did you do it? I did it for four days. Four days? You read your Bible four days? Come back to me at four months and tell me the same thing. Oh, Pastor Walker, listen, I've, I've tried to be faithful for a while, but I stopped running. I stopped loving my spouse. I stopped trying to resist temptation. See, it's easy to uh, give up, isn't it? Especially when you're out of shape spiritually. But that's why we look to Jesus. Why? Because in him, here's what we find. Can you see one more thing? Another parallel statement in the text? In verse 2 and verse 3, here's what it says. In verse 2 it says, He endured the cross. Underline that. And then draw an arrow to verse 3 where it says, He endured from sinners hostility. You see, he endured two things. One was the cross and one was people. Now, can I put those together in your mind? See, struggling and enduring against all kinds of difficulties, we can't even imagine in our finite minds, and we probably never will, even in eternity, to be able to understand fully and capably grasp what Jesus endured when it says the cross. I mean, he was crucified, he was flogged, he was beaten, his face, you couldn't recognize who he was. He was nailed to the cross in two different places. He was... Not only the physical torture of the cross, 
but the humility and social shame of it, hanging naked in front of people that you ministered to on a public highway where hundreds of people walked by and mocked you and you were low enough to the ground where they could spit on you, endured the cross, listen to this, despised the shame. The shame. It wasn't just the nails, as awful as they were, or the beating, or the flogging, or the torch. I mean, that was awful. But the shame of it, be in front of people as God, without any clothes on, humiliated on a public highway. Then the relational pain endured the cross. You'd think he could stop there and he wouldn't have had to say it anymore. But he does. And then verse 3 says, he endured from sinners. It's emphatic in the Greek sentence, meaning it was the people that were the hardest thing to get past. The religious leaders telling him, oh, we'll believe you. Come down from the cross. In other words, you're not who you say you are. You're a liar. Look, messiahs don't get crucified. You're a failure. That's what they're saying. The criminals next to him The Bible says they castigated him with insults. His own disciples betrayed him and denied him, and only one of them even showed up when he needed the most at the cross. See, it's not just going through divorce, is it? It's the way your spouse treats you through the divorce and what others say about you now that they know you are divorced. See, it's not just the event, is it? It's all the stuff that goes with it. That's what he's asking you to endure. It's not just that you lost your job, but it's how you were fired and how he's told you in front of other people at your job and how he said that you were incompetent and he wished he'd never hired you. It's not just that your family excludes you, even though that would be bad enough in and of itself, but it's they seem to do it purposely. They leave you out as if you're really not part of the family and nobody would ever really miss you if you were gone. It's not just that your friends are cruel and mean to you at times, but it's the way that they make fun of you, the actual names they choose to call you. It's the things that others tell you that they say behind your back that really hurts the most. See, endured the cross, endured the suffering. So why do we look at Jesus? Well, verse 3 concludes it for us. Consider him. I mean, not not just in passing. The word means to meditate. I mean, think on Jesus. I mean, think of the cross. Think of the people at the cross. Think of the infinite sacrifice he made for you and the pain on every level that he endured. Look at him on the cross and everyone around him. Look at what was going. And here's what he says. You do that. You think on him. For what reason? Look at the text, verse 3, so that you will not grow weary and faint-hearted, so you'll not throw in the towel, you're not going to wave the white flag, you're not going to say, I'm giving up on this Christianity stuff. See, that's, see, if you look around at people, and you look around at America, and you look around at our, our society, and you look at all the things that are going wrong, see, you're going to say, oh, why bother? But when you look at Jesus, it's a whole other story. You look at him... You know what it does? It keeps you from quitting. It keeps you from stop running. It keeps you in your lane. It keeps you when the pain is so strong that you keep running long. And quitting is not an option. And you join in with Winston Churchill and say, never, never, never give in. But even more than that, 
When you look at Jesus, it only gives you a pattern to keep enduring in the worst of circumstances. Can I tell you this? Look, it gives you a pattern and a perspective. Because here's what verse 4 says. You have not resisted to the point of blood. Here's the problem that we all have when our struggles are hard and we've been enduring for a while and we want to quit and give up and we say we're done with this stuff because what good does it do anyways? And we think our life is so bad until we get perspective. When my daughter Mackenzie had ear tumors when she was only a little girl, we went to children's hospital nine or ten times for surgeries. And I thought, wow, we really have it bad. And I sat in the waiting room often waiting for the surgeon to come and thinking how bad our life was until I saw the little eight-year-old girl in the wheelchair being pushed down the hallway that was completely bald and only had a few weeks to live. And then I got perspective. And I saw, yeah, McKenzie's surgery is not good, but that's far worse. You know, seeing Jesus, you know what it does on my relational problems and I'm lonely and I feel bad and I'm not downplaying or minimalizing what you're going through because I know it's severe, because it's your situation. But can I tell you this? You need to get perspective, you and I both. You know why? We get it from Jesus. We see what he endured on the cross. Not just events that are painful, but people that are painful. And I I personally and purposely kept the last phrase to the end in verse 2. Can we go back to it? And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, when you see him on the cross, you need to move from that to seeing him on the throne. Because that's what the hope is for endurance. Endurance is say, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. Yes, I will take up my cross like you took up yours. Yes, your life gives me a pattern of endurance and a perspective on endurance. And no matter how hard it is, no matter what happens, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep my faith. I'm going to keep running the race. And and Jesus, let me tell you this, because I know you sat down. You ascended to heaven. You sat at God's, and you finished what God had you to do. You completed our salvation, and now you have power and authority, and all your enemies have been made your footstool. The scripture says, you conquered, and because of that, you know what Jesus shouts? And so can you. And so can you. You can live out the victory over all of your enemies and all of your difficulties and struggles, and you can endure even your cross, because he did that for us. It matters. It matters how you run. Let's close in prayer, and then we're going to sing our last song together. Heavenly Father, you know that everyone here today in this place and watching over live stream, we all as believers, we need endurance. We need endurance to keep wearing our masks. We need endurance to keep thinking of others and not just ourselves. We need to have endurance to face the tensions and the struggles and the difficulties that we all are headed, are going through. And we need to look backward and read the scriptures and the stories of people's lives that you've placed in front of us. But most of all, we need to look forward and we need to keep our focus and our eyes on Jesus and his cross. Oh, Father, let us do that the more that through the scriptures and through the life and example of others, especially Jesus, we might have hope. And that hope 
would allow us to hold on to you. I pray for those today who might be thinking of giving up on their faith, giving up on their family, giving up on their future, that they might see you, Jesus, and long to endure like you. For your honor and glory alone, for Christ's sake we pray. Amen.